0: Hormone replacement, such a big topic with so many questions and often not so many answers. That's what we're talking about today on the Dr. Susan Show. (music) Hi, I'm Dr. Susan and welcome to this presentation about hormone replacement. Well, I don't think I'd be uh, doing anyone any favors if I didn't start by just talking about coronavirus for a moment. Uh, Last week we talked about coronavirus and pregnancy. And as a gynecologist, obviously uh, coronavirus and women's health is is super close to my heart. Uh, Our office, completewomenscarecenter.com is still open. Uh, We're doing most of our visits by telemedicine. So if you have questions for a gynecologist, uh, please visit us at completewomenscarecenter.com and we can help you answer your questions about gynecologic health or about coronavirus. So this week, not much good news uh, regarding the virus. I know uh, most of you are keeping up with it just as well as I am, Uh, but Houston is still on the early part of the curve. So still encouraging to follow those guidelines, the six feet away from others, social distancing, And each of us can play a part in keeping Houston on the lower end of this uh, curve so that we can flatten that curve out and get back to work before uh, some predictions are uh, not for a few months. Um, So in the meantime, let's stay connected. Uh, We'll be here updating you as much as possible regarding anything new. In coronavirus world and if you have questions uh, regarding coronavirus you can type those in now as well i may not have time to get to all of those during this show since we are focusing on hormone replacement but um, i know that that is the closest thing to almost all of our hearts right now So I have a ton of questions. Thank you so much for those of you who submitted them about hormone replacement. And I'm going to get to as many of those as I can. But just want to start out for a couple of minutes, making sure we're all on the same page uh, with a little bit of a physiology lesson. Uh, Some of us missed some of this. I, I know I did. I didn't get much teaching about this at all in high school or even in college or med school, frankly. So I learned about menopause by going through it myself. And so it's uh, very understandable that most of us don't have the information that we need about menopause. So just a little five minute uh, briefing about menopause and why we might need hormone replacement. Uh, so all of us remember back when we were around average of 12, we started having periods and that indicated that we'd started ovulating. So our ovaries started releasing eggs, you know, more or less once a month, right? If things were perfect about every 28 days. So what happened, considering if if we were having normal cycles that were not on the pill or something else that was uh, affecting our hormones, but if our hormones are running on their own cycle, uh, after we have our period, uh, our hormone levels, our estrogen level starts to rise. And then around mid-cycle, we ovulate. That's usually about 14 days after our period starts. And at that point, our progesterone level rises. Now, progesterone is progestational that means it's designed to help be supportive if we get pregnant so that's why we only produce progesterone after we ovulate i know that's something that a lot of people even doctors don't know so remember progesterone is only produced after we ovulate so around two weeks after our period starts our progesterone levels go up waiting for pregnancy and if we don't get pregnant our progesterone levels drop and we have another period and then on and on it goes well somewhere around 40 or sometimes even earlier, that system stops working perfectly. So yeah, we're still releasing eggs. We're not menopausal yet. And I'll I'll get to the definition of that in a moment, but we're still releasing eggs. And what happens is the progesterone level starts being a little bit lower. Uh, Those eggs are at the same time, not as easy to fertilize. So basically our ovarian function just starts to decline a little bit. And I know no one likes to think of parts of our body declining. But let's face it, that happens usually about halfway through our life. So somewhere between about 40 and 50 for most of us, and there's a lot of variation in the age, our hormone levels start to change. And we call that time perimenopause. So you're not done with ovulation yet. You're not menopausal, but you're in that window of time just before menopause, but after the time that ovulation was perfect, if that makes sense. So You know, most of us have until our mid-30s where we're ovulating pretty regularly, and then it starts to get a a little bit less regular, and then eventually, an average of age 51, we stop having periods altogether. So that's kind of a a little (laughs) briefing of how this works. There's a lot more to it than that, but what happens is, first of all, our progesterone levels drop in our 40s usually, and then finally, when we are menopausal, meaning we're not ovulating at all, We stop having periods altogether. And at that point, our estrogen levels drop. So the important takeaway there is that our progesterone levels drop first, and then our estrogen levels drop. So for me, I'm 52. I went through menopause at 47. And honestly, I uh, was completely surprised. You would think as a gynecologist, I would have been expecting it. But I have personal experience with all of those really common symptoms that might cause us to want to take hormones. Now if you're in that 10% of women who go through menopause without any significant symptoms, great. Um, You don't need hormones. And this conversation might not be interesting to you. If you feel great already, absolutely don't take anything. But if you're someone like me who had the whole shazam of (laughs) hormone-related symptoms uh, when I was 47, hot flushes, night sweats, insomnia... That was the worst one for me. I would go to sleep and then wake up two hours later. I mean, couldn't go back to sleep. And that affects your whole day. That causes mood swings, inability to concentrate, and then on and on from there. Most uh, patients or people, including me, complain about weight gain, too. That is the number one most uncomfortable symptom. Um, I did a large study a couple of years ago uh, looking at menopause symptoms, and the most negatively Uh, Viewed symptom was weight gain and that was experienced by more than 85% of women going through menopause So if you're in that category, uh, you're definitely not alone So uh, I think the best thing to do to uh, to really have a conversation about hormone replacement in a meaningful way Is just to go straight to your questions because I think between all the questions that uh, you asked I'm going to tell you most everything. I know about hormone replacement Um, so First of all, I'm gonna start with a question from Jennifer who says, uh, what are the best kind of hormones to take and how do I choose? Um, And that is a really big question, uh, Jennifer. Uh, So let's back up for a second and just remember that the hormones we're talking about in this context are estrogen, and progesterone those are the two major hormones produced by our ovaries so while we have a lot of other hormones in our body when we're talking about hormone replacement therapy for menopausal women we're talking about estrogen and progesterone so what kind to take yet there's a whole bunch of choices so to narrow it down um you know i'm a, a traditionally trained physician so i uh, try my best to practice evidence-based medicine and you know many many studies on hormone replacement have now led us to believe that the the best choice is something that is bioidentical now i'm going to talk about that word a little bit more and i see some questions about it as well uh, bioidentical hormones are just hormones that look biologically identical to human estrogen so human estrogen, at least the kind that is the most important for women, is estradiol. So estradiol is the estrogen that we produce from our ovaries that goes away, and the lack of estradiol causes all of those symptoms. So anything that is estradiol would be considered bioidentical. So for Jennifer, some kind of estradiol, and then Progesterone. So those two together. There's only one kind of progesterone. Progesterone is progesterone. Uh, There's a lot of lookalikes to progesterone, which are called progestins. So I'm going to just suggest that that's not my recommendation. But, uh, Jennifer, the answer to that is some kind of estradiol and progesterone. Now, to, to further answer your question, there's all kinds of ways you can get this stuff, right? Lots of different delivery modes. So the current... Evidence suggests that estrogen, the estradiol portion of that duo, should be taken in some kind of fashion that doesn't go through your mouth and into your stomach. The reason for that is that when we take uh, oral medications or pills, they are metabolized through our liver, and over time, estrogen, it it causes a lot of work for your liver. Uh, Incidentally, while your liver is metabolizing the estrogen, it changes the compound and makes it less effective, perhaps. So transdermal, meaning something across your skin that could be a cream, a patch, or even a pellet under your skin, but something that doesn't go through your mouth. Uh, And there's lots of options for that. So I think some of the other questions will get into that a little bit more. So that's a great question, Jennifer, thank you. Um, Now, my second question from Yvette says, um, Yvette is asking, Where do hormones come from? Is it better to take something natural versus synthetic? And I love that question because um, there's so much confusion around these words like natural, synthetic. Um, A lot of it is marketing uh, terms. So we already talked about bioidentical being the preference. But guess what? Um, All bioidentical hormones are synthetic because uh, the only way that they would not be synthetic would be if we drew them out of another human and that's not uh, legal (laughs) so uh, bioidentical hormones are made in a lab to look exactly like human hormones and that's great so synthetic is not a bad word Uh, it is used in that way uh, sometimes uh, for marketing but uh, all bioidentical hormones are synthetic keep that in mind because they do not come directly out of another human now, uh, plant-based hormones are often called natural. So we have to you know, get our mind around these terms. Plant-based hormones are also synthetic because we take the um, hormone precursor out of various plants and then they're manipulated in the lab to create these bioidentical hormones. So without getting too complicated, um, just be careful of those words, uh, natural and synthetic. And the important thing for for me uh, is that the end point is that these hormones are biologically identical to what we produce in our own bodies. And yes, they are synthetic. So if you hear the term natural, I think it's probably um, alluding to the fact that these hormones do come from a plant source. Now, um, an important point about that question, there there was a hormone that is still on the market, um, was very popular years ago called Premarin. Uh, Now, Premarin Many of us don't know, and I will tell you today, uh, comes from pregnant mare's urine. Uh, they didn't even try too hard to hide that in the name. Uh, now primarin, uh is not bioidentical. Uh, it comes out of a horse. Uh, the way it's it obtained is uh, less than humane. So that would not be my recommendation. Uh, First of all, it's not bioidentical, And secondly, um, it's responsible for a huge amount of animal cruelty. So if you take Premarin, I'm guessing that you don't know where it comes from or you would not take it anymore. So my personal opinion is that uh, it's a product that should not be available on the market. And if you take it, I would ask your doctor to switch you to something else um, for that reason. So that's a great question. Thank you. Now, let's see, Giselle, oh, another great question. Giselle says, uh, I had breast cancer. It was stage one, seven years ago. I really want to take estrogen for hot flashes, but no one will prescribe it, so what can I do? Uh, This is a a very common question, since one in eight of us develop breast cancer in our lifetimes, and uh, the party line has always been that if you have had a personal history of breast cancer, you should not take estrogen. Uh, assuming you had a estrogen-sensitive cancer, which is the majority of breast cancers. Uh, there is some growing evidence that for patients um, like yourself uh, who are more than five years out from a stage one cancer uh, have such a low risk of recurrence, knock on wood, that taking uh, a low dose of estrogen for symptom relief is not out of the question. Uh, you know, Of course we have to weigh the pros and cons uh, but the way I think about it is that, uh, you know, quality of life is really important. So depending on how much a uh, patient is suffering, I do have several patients in my practice who have had breast cancer, who've chosen to take estrogen for symptom relief. And, you know, with a discussion uh, about the risks and benefits, that could be something that's appropriate depending on your personal case. So if you, if you have had breast cancer, Generally, uh, oncologists and uh, doctors like myself would hesitate to prescribe estrogen to you if you've had anything more than a stage one cancer or if you're less than five years out from the initial diagnosis. But it's not out of the question. So my personal practice style is to work with you uh, and let you make your own decision. So uh, completewomenscarecenter.com if you want to talk about that some more. I definitely wouldn't say absolutely not. Um, April has another question. Oh, this is another great one. How do I know I'm on the right dose and do I need to get regular blood tests? Um, Well, my opinion is you don't need regular blood tests. Uh, While a lot of doctors do draw blood regularly for patients on hormone replacement, um, I would argue that most of the time I or we know what those results are going to be before we get the test back. So, for example, if you're 52 and you haven't had a period in two years and you go see the doctor complaining of hot flashes night sweats all the common symptoms I really don't need to draw your blood to diagnose that you're menopausal and guess what your estrogen and progesterone levels are going to be Really close to zero. So there's no point in doing that blood test in my opinion secondly uh, When you've been on hormones for a while at the dose that we choose based on what works for most people so we start on a dose that Is commonly effective and then kind of go from there if I started you on a dose of hormones and then you came in say a month later and told me you were feeling great I wouldn't draw your blood I mean what if the blood test said that your levels were too low I wouldn't change them because you're feeling great so in other words I think you can generally monitor whether the dose is correct based on how the patient's feeling there are certain symptoms that go along with having an estrogen level that's too high like breast tenderness, nausea, headaches, water retention. And there's certain symptoms that go along with having an estrogen level that's too low, like hot flashes, night sweats, and so on. So we can usually tighter the dose just by listening to you rather than drawing your blood. And I I do want to add one point, which is that some doctors, and I uh, hesitate to be critical at all about anyone else's practice of medicine, but Some doctors make money from doing blood tests and, you know, I understand it is a business, but keep in mind that if you're paying a lot of money for blood tests that you don't need, that might be something that you choose to avoid because, uh, in my opinion, you don't need them. Now, doing blood testing could be useful if it's a very confusing confusing situation. Just say, you know, you've been on hormones, you're not feeling better, I, I can't figure out what's going on. Something like that might warrant a blood test. But generally, in my practice, I do not draw blood regularly, if at all, uh, for hormone levels. Because you and I, between us, can basically figure out what those levels are without asking the lab. Does that make sense? That was a great question. So, um, oh, Marion is asking a really common question, what about the risks? So um, I remember back in 2002. showing my age. Uh, The big study called the Women's Health Initiative, which is still the biggest study ever done on hormone replacement, um, showed that uh, estrogen was related to a slightly increased risk of breast cancer, heart disease, and stroke. And it was all over the front of the papers. Um, The risk was blown way out of proportion, in my opinion, in the media, and basically caused uh, patients to stop being prescribed estrogen for you know, a year or two. Uh, Well, going back and looking at the study over time and sort of taking things a little bit more uh, broad view, it turns out that the the risks in that study were were very minimal and patients in that study had an average age of 65 as well as having a lot of other health conditions. So if we're talking about giving hormones to patients who are young, meaning, you know, 50s, uh, like me, right, healthy, Uh, do not have other uh, risk factors for those diseases, uh, breast cancer, heart disease, and stroke in particular, Um, now we all have risk factors for those things but you don't have a extremely elevated risk, Uh, then hormone replacement may still be a very good option for you. Now um, I will tell you that all of the evidence suggests that taking Hormones, estrogen in particular, uh, does increase the risk of breast cancer slightly if we take it for a long time. Now, you can see that there's a lot of uh, subjectivity in there because how much is slightly and how long is a long time, we really don't know. Um, But if the average risk of getting breast cancer in the United States is one in eight, which it is now in our lifetime, and we increase that risk slightly, say, to one in six or one in seven. Uh, To me, that doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Um, We can all assume that our risk for breast cancer is high, and I personally take estrogen and get my mammogram annually, and while I hope that I never get breast cancer, if I do, it will be caught early, and meantime, I've been feeling really good and um, symptom-free, so uh, we just have to weigh that against the quality of life um, issues that each individual has. Uh, If you had the genetic predisposition for breast cancer, for example, like you carried the BRCA gene, you know, that might be a different conversation. If you're 300 pounds, smoke, and have had a heart attack or stroke, taking estrogen may not be the best idea for you. So you can see that it's very individual based on each patient. Um, and that's a very good question. So when we're talking about starting someone on hormone replacement, that's a very long conversation that we have with each patient to try to assess the risks and benefits for, for her in particular. There's no blanket answer for, for everybody. It's different for each person. Um, this is how you know you're getting old when you have to um, put on reading glasses and uh, just uh we're about 20 minutes into this uh uh, goes time goes fast doesn't it i just want to remind you if you've tuned in we're talking about hormone replacement Uh, we still might have some time for some extra questions if you'd like to submit them in the comment box below Um, so eva has a good question you know why is hormone replacement still so controversial and why doesn't everyone take it well people love controversy don't they um and i still think we're Still kind of reeling a little bit from that big study from 2002, even though that's been, what, 18 years now? Gosh, long time. Uh, A lot of doctors who are senior, (laughs) or have been practicing for quite a while, may still have that uh, mentality in mind. So I I have some colleagues who still believe that hormone replacement is dangerous and won't prescribe it. You know, everyone has their own opinion, but uh, certainly the data now, after 18 more years of research, suggests that hormone replacement is safe for the majority of women. As I discussed before, it's different for each person, and we weigh that risk versus the benefit for each patient. Why doesn't everyone take it? There are some patients who shouldn't, but um, I think uh, many of us certainly can. Vivian has a good question. Why do some places charge so much for hormone replacement? Why isn't it covered by insurance? Well, Vivian, uh, it is covered by insurance. So that's the good news. Um, Now, there are some uh, doctors who prescribe hormones and charge large amounts of money for it and they're prescribing good medicine. I I don't want to criticize what they're prescribing. However, you can get the same thing. We were talking about bioidentical hormones. You can get bioidentical estradiol and progesterone from any pharmacy, generic and covered by insurance. And you can visit a gynecologist and have that visit covered by insurance. So if you want to go to a doctor and pay $2,500 or $3,000, by all means, do that, and they, they will take very good care of you. However, you can see uh, very well-trained gynecologists like myself or my partners at completewomenscarecenter.com uh, who can prescribe the same thing uh, without you having to pay out of pocket for it. There's no benefit to taking expensive hormones. <laughs> no. uh, not like our shoes or our purses. You can't see the label on this stuff once it goes into your system, and it's the same exact thing. So keep that in mind. Um, Now, uh, a little plug for the North American Menopause Society. Uh, Some doctors don't know much about menopause, and I was one of them uh, until I went through it, even though I'm a gynecologist. But uh, if you look on the North American Menopause Society website, they can give you a list of doctors who are very well trained in menopause, including myself and my partners. that that can really help you. And so uh, that's a great resource uh, for patients and for physicians as well. I use it quite frequently myself to keep up to date. Uh, Let's see. Oh, Georgette has a really good question. Um, Which hormones do I need? My doctor said I don't need progesterone. Is this true? So yeah, up until Georgette's question, um, I have been talking about taking estrogen and progesterone together, which is Generally, what I recommend. Now, uh, Georgette, your doctor who said that you don't need progesterone, I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess that you have had a hysterectomy. So, um, if we've had a hysterectomy, if we do not have our uterus anymore, then we're not at risk of uterine cancer. Um, obviously, don't have a uterus. We know that if you take estrogen by itself, it can increase the risk of uterine cancer over time. Now, a long time. If you take estrogen on its own, it can build up the uterine lining and even increase the risk of cancer. So, uh, if you don't have a uterus, some doctors uh, are comfortable prescribing estrogen by itself because you won't be, uh, you won't have that risk if that makes sense. Now, another argument is that progesterone has a lot of other benefits other than reducing the risk of uterine cancer. So one benefit of progesterone, for those of us who have a uterus, is that it reduces the risk of uterine cancer, and that's really important. So if you do have a uterus, you definitely should take estrogen and progesterone together. Now if you do not have a uterus and you feel great taking just estrogen, like Georgetta, if you feel great, that's perfectly fine. But what I found is there are many other benefits to progesterone other than reducing the risk of uterine cancer. So many of my patients who've had a hysterectomy still take progesterone. For example, it helps with sleep. So I take progesterone at night. It definitely helps with sleep. Progesterone has a, a muscle relaxing effect. We actually use it now in uh obstetrics to prevent preterm labor. It it truly does have a muscle relaxing effect. So many patients find that it helps with tension, you know, if you tend to get those mood swings, or anxiety or um, tension headaches. Uh, So you might find that progesterone is helpful, even if you don't have a uterus. So, Georgetta, if you have any of those symptoms, definitely trying progesterone might be something that can help and that's a great question. So you don't always need both, but in my practice, usually I do give both. Um, Oh, Annabelle touched on that topic that I was talking about weight gain. Um, she said, I gain weight with menopause. Will hormones help? Oh, I wish they would, but I, uh, the truth is, uh, no, I'm sorry. Um, we, you know, I would be sitting in a bath of them myself if that were the case, and. Uh, What happens uh, during that perimenopausal time, remember earlier on we were talking about how initially our progesterone drops, but our estrogen doesn't drop till later. That period of time our estrogen is uh, higher than it should be in relation to the progesterone, if that makes sense. So some people call that a time of estrogen dominance. So when you have a lot of estrogen in your system, you gain fat usually around the midsection. So this is a very common, uh, almost universal complaint. And like I said earlier in my study, 85% of women said that weight gain was the most negative symptom that they experienced with menopause. So if estrogen dominance causes fat to gain around the middle, wouldn't it be great if just giving you some progesterone would reverse that? Well, we tried, it doesn't, but don't want to hear it I know and I'm glad that no one can throw anything at me when I say this but eat right and exercise and it's really unfair and you can kick and punch all you want to but it is absolutely true that we need fewer calories to maintain the same weight than we did when we were younger and as much as I hate that it's true so many of my patients say to me I gained 15 pounds and I didn't do anything different what happened and my answer to that is You didn't do anything different. That's exactly what happened. You have to do things differently as we get into this uh, second half of life, meaning we're going to need fewer calories to maintain the same weight. So eat right and exercise. Don't kill the messenger. Um, And taking progesterone will not help. I'm sorry to tell you that, but it'll definitely make you feel better. Oh, Marie! Will hormones improve my sex drive? And she specifically says that I heard about testosterone for this. So this is a great question and right up my alley since I love talking about sex. Um, well, hormones hormones will do a lot for your sex drive. Um, here's my opinion: When you feel like crap, you do not want to have sex. When I was 47 and I wasn't sleeping, having hot flashes, waking up wet, grumpy, wanting to kick the dog. I did not feel sexy. I just felt rotten. And, and, uh, you know, generally not feeling good doesn't improve our sex life. So once I started feeling better, taking hormones, absolutely, that allowed me to be more interested in sex. Now, on a physiologic level in the vagina, we often experience dryness. Well, almost universally experience dryness when our estrogen drops. And vaginal dryness can become such a big problem that it can become even impossible to have sex without pain. So, no doubt we're not going to be drawn to an activity that causes pain. So, um, in my opinion, the two main reasons why taking estrogen improves sex drive is it just improves our overall sense of well being, which obviously increases our desire to be intimate. And then it improves vaginal dryness or prevents vaginal dryness from setting in so that we can still enjoy intercourse without pain. So, very good question. Now, regarding testosterone, uh, I've been talking about estrogen and progesterone, but testosterone, I often tell patients, is kind of like maybe the icing on the cake that we would try once we've got those other two balanced. Uh, there are a few studies that show that testosterone given to postmenopausal women can improve sex drive a little bit better than placebo in some studies, so it's still not clear. Uh, A study that I really thought was interesting uh, that was published a couple of years ago showed that women who take testosterone were more likely to masturbate, but not more likely to have sex with their partner, which I found very interesting. So it improves our sex drive, but doesn't necessarily improve us wanting to connect with our partner, which to me shows that there's a lot of other issues relating to connection with our partner other than just libido, if that makes sense. And another point I want to make is most of us, uh, in fact, pretty much 100% of us in the study that I did recently had our uh, peak libido in our 20s. In our 20s, many or most of us are on birth control pills. When we're on birth control pills, our testosterone is almost zero. It's negligible. That's why it works well for acne and hair growth and other things. So at the time in my life when my sex drive was the highest, my testosterone was almost zero. So I often use that as an example just to show that testosterone is a really small player in this whole libido spectrum. Um, you know, We often joke that libido for women is comes from above the neck and for men comes from below the waist. And there is a lot of truth in that. So although we want our hormones to be functioning well to keep our vagina from getting dry, testosterone has limited benefit. Now I certainly do prescribe it for some patients who uh, have asked for it and i would say maybe 50 percent of them find that it helps and 50 percent don't i always like to be my own guinea pig so i tried it for a little while i used a testosterone cream that you uh, put on your wrists um, now testosterone can only be uh, obtained from a compounding pharmacy this is the one thing that you cannot get from a regular pharmacy for women there's no product made for women yet um, and i actually got oily skin acne hair growth It didn't help my libido, so I stopped it. Um, But you know, you could try it. I tell patients, give it a try and see if it works. But it's a tiny, tiny player. Estrogen and progesterone are the big players. Um, Okay, thank you for another question from Isabella. It says, How long do I have to take hormones? When should I get off of them? Uh, Well, another joke that I have is I'm going to be wearing my estrogen patch uh, when they push me into the fire. (laughs) I'm not getting buried or in the coffin. I'm gonna take mine forever. Uh, That's the current plan. Um, I uh, reserve the right to change it if I have a blood clot or a stroke. Uh, So there's no particular time that you have to get off hormones. It's really an individual uh, decision. Uh, We've heard other doctors throw around five years, 10 years, those are made up. There's no data suggesting you have to stop at a particular time. But the important thing is that each year or whenever you come in to see your doctor to be reassessed, that that she asks those appropriate questions just to make sure that your risk level hasn't changed and that you might need to stop. As long as your risk level hasn't changed, I keep prescribing, and I'm keeping uh, my doctors prescribing it for me uh, forever, I hope. Um, Amelia, this is is another common question. Uh, Amelia says that I heard that compounded hormones do not increase the risk of breast cancer. Is that true? And... uh, that's not true um, I wish it was and and the compounding science uh, folks um, might still argue with me but there was some um, literature that suggested that certain kinds of compounded estrogen did not increase the risk of breast cancer I think it's safe to say now that any kind of estrogen can increase the risk of breast cancer a little bit all of them are the same and we're talking about bioidentical estradiol it's the same one remember compounded versus from Walgreens. So um, breast cancer is is increased a tiny bit, no matter what sort of estrogen that you take. Um, Emma says, how do I find a doctor who can help me? My doctor doesn't seem to know about this. Um, Again, uh, North American Menopause Society has a great listing. Uh, You can visit us at completewomenscarecenter.com. Um, If you don't live in Houston, we have telemedicine available also, especially during COVID. (laughs) Uh, Pretty much everything's telemedicine. So the good part about that is even if you don't live in Houston, we can still visit you through telemedicine. So completewomenscarecenter.com or the North American Menopause Society website, another great option. Um, Allison says, what about over-the-counter plant-based hormones? Do those work? Uh, I have a product that has wild yam, black cohosh, milk thistle, et cetera, or some other um, what we call phytoestrogens in it. And um, Allison, um, plant-based estrogens that you can get over the counter do have a very mild effect. So do, if they work for you, great. Um, I have seen that in some patients with mild hot flashes, these products can be very effective. The dose is tiny compared to prescription estrogen, so keep that in mind. Um, Now, while we can't say that they're 100% safe for breast cancer, it's very, very unlikely that plant-based estrogens can uh, have any significant effect on the breast. So uh, if it works for you, go for it. Um, And I have some examples that I'll show you too. Let's see, Melanie um, asked, uh, she's turning 50 and still having cycles that are long and heavy. Um, how do I know when I should start hormones? And how do you know when you're closer to menopause? Uh, so because you're still having periods, Melanie, you're not postmenopausal yet. Uh, there is a blood test called follicle stimulating hormone or FSH that you can have done in your doctor's office that can tell you know, where you are in the menopause spectrum. Your FSH level goes up as you get closer to menopause. So my guess is at 50, your FSH level is starting to go up. And hopefully, you know, within a year or two, your periods will stop. So a blood test can be a really good way uh, to tell where you are. If you're still having periods, probably don't need estrogen, but progesterone might be helpful. Uh, one of the benefits of progesterone is it can make your period lighter. So that would be something I'd look into. Or connect with me at uh, drsusan.com or completewomenscarecenter.com. Uh, and she also asked, Melanie, uh, can hormonal changes cause uh, tachycardia? I'm guessing you're in the medical business. Tachycardia means elevated heart rate for regular folks. Um, and hot flashes definitely can. Uh, you know, when I had hot flashes, my heart would raise. Um, I'd start sweating. <laughs> so uh, generally, uh, menopausal changes do not cause an elevation in heart rate. But sometimes when we're having hot flashes, they can. So... Uh, I've I've reached the end of our questions here, and I did just want to show you a couple of products because a lot of patients ask me You know what do some of these things look like? I'm going to show you what I use Because it's so tiny Uh, I'm going to do a little plug for this uh, generic estradiol patch I'm wearing one right now. I just want to show you how small it is. I don't know if the camera can get in and see so it's a um, tiny and it's clear and I stick it on my hip I change it twice a week, and this little thing delivers estrogen, um, bioidentical estradiol, into my system all day in a, a, a constant dose. I actually swim. I take a bath every day. It does not come off, so this is my favorite product. Um, another favorite product is a pellet that goes under your skin. Uh, both of these deliver estrogen in a constant Around you know, the clock manner, which is great. Uh, the benefit of this is you can take it off, whereas the pellet you're stuck with for three months. And also, this is uh, really cheap. It's paid for, um, got, got it from Walgreens, and the pellets are a bit more expensive. And then, this is my uh, prescribed from Walgreens progesterone. This is what it looks like it's just a little, 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 little tiny capsule. I take that every night and it helps me sleep and reduces the risk of uterine cancer. And then a couple of um, creams. Now, um, if you go to drsusan.com, we actually have these on our website. Um, The Agile products are uh, over-the-counter. So you can get progesterone cream, uh, which is this uh, Agile Pro, over-the-counter. Put it on your inner arms, rub it in. Some people prefer doing creams, So this is an option and you don't need a prescription. So uh, it is a real progesterone uh, and it is dosed at the same level as a prescription pill, but you can get this from drsusan.com without a prescription. And then the Agile Pro Plus has the plant-based estrogens in it. If you're uh, someone who has mild symptoms, you're not ready to take prescription oestrogen yet, a product like this which has uh, progesterone and the plant-based hormones in it might be something that you wanna try. Uh, The benefit of this, again, is uh, you don't need a a doctor's visit or a prescription, um, and you can get it from drsusan.com. So um, pretty easy and shouldn't be expensive. Um, And I hope that answered all of your questions today. Um, As someone who has, my life was changed by taking hormones. I love to spread the good news about hormone replacement. And also let you know that uh, we're available at completewomanscarescentre.com to answer your questions via telemedicine, even if you're a new patient. Um, And I hope you enjoyed this as much as I do. I look forward to seeing you next week.